Hey, everybody. It is Wednesday, May 24th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, I've been taping a couple interviews today that will be rolling out in the coming weeks. Uh, some of you may know Carlos Whitaker, motivational speaker, author of a book called How to Human, very inspirational, positive uh, conversation. So look out for that on the premium account and then uh, on the main feed after that. And then uh, also spoke today with the editor-in-chief of Gallup, the polling company. Mm-hmm. Particularly interesting. I mean, we talked about domestic polling, but uh, very cool. They poll in 140 countries. So he was talking about how culturally they have to change the way they ask questions, including how they are actually able to poll in places like Afghanistan, uh, China, and Russia. So be on the lookout for that episode as well. Okay. I am officially interested. I didn't know if I was going to be, but you got me, Mosh. Jill, every time she hears I'm like talking about polling, she's like, wah, wah. And I was like, no, this is this is actually, this will be interesting. I promise you. The truth is that anything can be interesting, right? That is uh, part of our job here is to try to tell you the most interesting stories happening out there. Because you can take interesting stories. I mean, some people have people like this in their lives and make them very boring. You can also take boring stories and make them interesting. So we appreciate all of you. We try to make every story interesting, or at least find the interesting tidbits for you every day. Speaking of which, let's get to some of the headlines. A warning from the Surgeon General about social media and kids and what we could do about it. It appears Ron DeSantis will be officially declaring today on Twitter with Elon Musk. More on the man who believes that he is Trump's biggest threat to the GOP nomination. It comes as former President Trump got a trial date in that criminal case in New York related to hush money payments, and he isn't happy about it. White House threat 18 is accused of deliberately crashing a U-Haul truck into a security barrier near the White House. Apple's investing billions of dollars in U.S. manufacturing as it looks to move more of its production line outside of China. A monster typhoon is barreling toward Guam with strong winds and a 25-foot storm surge. How safe are buildings in San Francisco in the case of a major earthquake? A new list is naming names when it comes to buildings at risk. And is LeBron James ready to retire? Plus, Moshe has on the stay in history. Jill, one of our favorites, Dawson's Creek, made some history today. And it might surprise you. All right, let's start with that new warning from the United States Surgeon General, although it probably won't come as a major surprise to many of you. Social media presents a, quote, profound risk of harm to the mental health and well-being of children and adolescents. Dr. Vivek Murthy issued that public advisory on Tuesday in a 19-page report. He said that the effects of social media on adolescent mental health were not fully understood, but there are ample indicators that it is not good. Now, while there could be some benefits like connecting with others, there are also so many negatives like being exposed to, quote, extreme, inappropriate, and harmful content, content that normalizes things like eating disorders and other destructive behavior. There's a lot of cyberbullying. It's impacting sleep. Kids aren't exercising or seeing their friends in person as much as they used to. Now, in an interview with the New York Times about his advisory, the Surgeon General said, quote, adolescents are not just smaller adults. They are in a different phase of development, and they are in a critical phase of brain development. 
Case in point, he says that frequent social media use could be associated with distinct changes in the developing brain when it comes to emotional learning and behavior, and also in the prefrontal cortex, which is really what's in charge of impulse control and emotional regulation, and also moderating social behavior. He says social media could also increase sensitivity to social rewards and punishments. Moshe, it reminds me of that old PSA from when we were kids when the big concern was drug use. Remember the egg and the voice saying, this is your brain, this is your brain on drugs, and it showed the egg sizzling in the pan. I literally had this exact conversation with cognitive psychotherapist Nero Feliciano a few months ago for that special edition that we did of the Mo News podcast. And she said this exact thing. She said, kids' brains are physically developing differently than ours did and that is because of social media use. Yeah, you were talking there that, I mean, multiple components of the brain here appear to be impacted by social media. You're talking about the amygdala, the emotional learning part, the behavioral part, the prefrontal cortex, impulse control. Uh, and the earlier that you expose uh, kids to this, their brains are literally getting wired differently here. Uh, and it does come as we've seen this huge jump in depression mental health issues among young people in the last decade. And so you remember statistics class like I do, you know, they used to say correlation is not causation. But in this case, there is clear connection here between social media and uh, mental health. There's a 2019 study just a couple years ago that found that teens who spent more than three hours a day on social media faced double the risk of experiencing poor mental health outcomes, including symptoms of depression and anxiety. The numbers are startling here in terms of use. According to the report, 95% of teens reported using at least one social media platform, while more than a third said they use social media, quote, almost constantly. In addition, among the younger set, uh, nearly 40% of children ages 8 to 12 use social media, even though the required minimum age for most sites is 13. As for what to do about it, the Surgeon General says more research is still needed here, but that until now, the burden of protecting youth has fallen predominantly on the kids themselves, uh, the teens, and their families. Uh, he says that that's a lot to ask of parents. Take a technology that's rapidly evolving and fundamentally changes how kids perceive themselves and ask parents to have to manage it, which has been the case here. So what the Surgeon General is saying here in this report and is telling policymakers is that we've got to do what we did in other areas where we have product safety issues and place safety standards that parents can rely on that are actually enforced. So the social media companies have said they're uh, creating their own rules here, their own limits uh, in terms of how kids, teens can access this stuff. Uh, but uh, clearly, at least from the Surgeon General report, uh, he says more is needed based on initial research, which means it'll fall on state and federal lawmakers to impose some sort of regulation on these companies. But most case in point, as you said, nearly 40% of kids aged 8 to 12 use social media, even though most social media platforms say that the minimum age is 13. Yeah, all, so clearly, all of them, all yeah, of them, so yeah. clearly whatever they're doing is not working. Um, but the question is then, in the meantime, at the very least, what can we do about it? There are some recommendations in the report. They say families should talk about it and create some type of social media plan. They recommend having tech-free times, like around bedtime or dinner time. Also, they say parents really need to model responsible social media behavior. So for the parents out there, 
It means put down your phone. And this is harder than it seems because we as adults in many ways are addicted to our phones as well. I actually had this exact conversation with my husband um, yesterday morning because I go on my phone a lot for work. I post news. I listen to our podcasts. I cut clips for social media. Um, and he looked at me. It was during breakfast. And he said, Jill, every single time that our daughter has seen you today, you have had your head in the phone. What? And he said, what kind of message is that sending her? And he wasn't like berating me. He was asking me as a real question. And I looked at him and I said, you're totally right. You know, and then I put down my phone, but it, it definitely is a challenge. Right. You're modeling behavior for the kids, right? I mean, it's something that has already come up. I mean, we're, we're still a few months away, uh, God willing from our first now. And we've had the discussion because you know what? I, I live on Instagram. And so how will I uh, conduct myself? And it's a discussion that um, we've had. And, and clearly, we're coming to a point now where Facebook launches in 2004, but like on laptop among college kids, social media really takes a hyper focus in the smartphone age over the last 10 years or so. Uh, and so we've learned a lot in these 10 years, you have the Surgeon General's advisory, which we will link to in the show notes. Uh, so you can read the full thing uh, for yourselves, everybody. Uh, and we're getting to the point now where like, we've learned some lessons now, and we've seen the impact of this. And so now how do we adjust? How do schools adjust? How do parents adjust? How do these companies adjust? And is there a role for government here in terms of regulation? Uh, warning labels, it sort of reminds me of, you know, cigarette packs or alcohol or whatever. What is the warning label that will come with social media as we start to learn the real impact here, especially among uh, younger people? The other challenge that you're going to start to notice when you and Alex have your baby is that you want your phone because you're going to always want to take pictures of them. So it's hard because you're like, wait, that's so cute. I mean, I used to have hundreds of pictures, especially of my daughter when she was first born. Um, anyway, I do want to do another plug, though, for the special podcast that I did with Nero Feliciano, because we talked all about this stuff. Um, and she had some really, really solid ideas if you're a parent out there who is struggling with this. Okay, now on to politics. We have an official announcement about his official announcement. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis will announce that he is running for president during a discussion with Twitter CEO Elon Musk tonight at 6 p.m. Eastern. They're going to be hosting an event on Twitter Spaces, which is that platform for audio chats. It will be moderated by David Sachs, who is a tech entrepreneur and also um, a DeSantis supporter. Later tonight, the DeSantis campaign will be releasing a launch video, and DeSantis will be getting on the campaign trail pretty much right away. He's going to be heading to some early voting states shortly after Memorial Day. Mosh, this was pretty surprising, I think. What do you make of it? Are we looking at Elon Musk, kingmaker in the Republican Party at this point? It's so interesting. I mean, Elon has... Unlike other previous uh, tech owners and entrepreneurs who've tried to keep their platform uh, agnostic, if you will, Elon has made his opinions clear. Uh, he has tweeted openly that Trump shouldn't be reelected. He's also uh, been very critical of Biden. Uh, here, we're going to see how things unfold uh, later this evening, whether he endorses uh, DeSantis. But this is sort of a tacit endorsement by serving as the platform here. And Elon has tried to keep the water warm for more conservatives uh, as he took over Twitter uh, last fall. So a couple things here. Elon is also a businessman. He's trying to keep Twitter relevant. And the campaign cycle, uh, you know, typically the last couple cycles, 
Twitter is the place to go for campaign news. And he wants to ensure that uh, that continues to be the case in 2024. Remember, he let Trump back on Twitter last fall. So Trump has an account, but Trump has not used it. Of course, he launched his own Truth Social and so and been critical of Trump. So clearly some animosity uh, building up there. So, you know, he's going out of his way here to uh, give a platform for Trump's biggest opponent. So that's going to be very interesting to watch. A DeSantis aide, by the way, tells NBC that they've been watching Twitter become this increasingly friendly space for conservatives under Musk's leadership. And so they believe that this allows them to bypass traditional media and speak directly to the conservative audience, which is one of their goals here. Trump, of course, is already responding uh, his campaign, uh, saying that announcing on Twitter is perfect for Ron DeSantis. This is the uh, Trump campaign statement. This way, he doesn't have to interact with people and the media can't ask him any questions. Uh, the knock on DeSantis has been that he doesn't like small talk, that he's very awkward. Uh, so we're going to find out more about that as he begins to campaign here. But that's clearly a storyline the Trump campaign would like to get out there. So you have DeSantis reaching out to conservatives. You have Twitter serving as this platform, Elon trying to keep it relevant, uh, Elon potentially trying to be kingmaker here, uh, saying that you know Twitter is the place to find your political news and figure out who's going to win. Uh, back to the politics of all of this, DeSantis is the uh, biggest threat right now, at least he'll tell you that, to Donald Trump. Right now, when you look at the polls, Trump has about 50% in the GOP primary. About half of all uh, Republican primary voters say they would vote for Trump. Just over 20%, DeSantis, and then the rest of the candidates uh, are in these single digits. Sort of reminds me, when I looked at those numbers, by the way, it reminded me of 2007, obviously different context here, but Hillary Clinton was in the 40 to 50% range. A guy named Barack Obama was in the 20% range. Uh, this is now 16 years ago. Obviously different context, but it does show you that movement can happen. Uh, and so we will see. Uh, a lot of people are very open-minded when I talk to Republicans. Uh, a number of Republicans, even those who voted for Trump, are just like, uh, I'm, I'm ready for something new. Whether DeSantis is able to make good on his pledge that he's the only guy who can beat Trump, he's the only guy who can beat Biden. We will have to see. But one thing we do know is key to winning is money, and he does have a lot of big fundraisers lined up uh, and donors lined up. And so that'll allow him to remain competitive here with Trump. And a lot of analysts have pointed out that it is a long campaign season. And even Barack Obama, who, of course, eventually won the presidency twice, had some stumbles in the beginning. They all have stumbles. Right. So whatever winds up happening here is not necessarily make or break in these first few weeks. A lot of it is messaging. Do you have the right message for the right time? Um, George W. Bush did in 2000. Bill Clinton did in 92. Obama had the right message, the right uh, feel for 2008, especially with the financial collapse. Uh, Trump, clearly had a message that resonated with people in 2016, Biden. Anyway, so a lot of it is is messaging. Uh, a lot of it will be, we're going to see ups and downs. You're going to see Trump collapse, DeSantis collapse. I mean, this is a long roller coaster of a campaign, unfortunately for all of you. Uh, we will have much more, by the way, breaking down DeSantis's bio, what he's done legislatively, et cetera, in tomorrow's podcast and the newsletter. Okay, we have plenty of more news to get to, including today's speed read and on this day. But we want to begin with a couple exclusive offers for the Mo News community. For all of you listening, we want to start right now with our partner, Bolin Branch Sheets. They're a brand. 
that helps you get an amazing night's sleep. They have a great sale right now for the Mo News community, specifically for Memorial Day, which I'll tell you about in a second. Uh, first, Bull and Brand sheets are made with 100% traceable organic cotton. They get softer with every wash. Jill, we were just talking before the pod. You need some more sheets. I do, Mosh, and I happen to love our Bolin Branch sheets. And like they say, they really do get softer with every wash. So the longer that we have them, the more we like them. Jill, you're not alone. Millions of people have bought the sheets, including apparently four American presidents have used Bolin Branch sheets as well. So let's get to the deal here. You can get 20% off your first order this Memorial Day weekend when you use the promo code, what else? MoNews, M-O-N-E-W-S, over at bullandbranch.com. That is bullandbranch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com, promo code MoNews. Starting this Thursday, you can get a free striped beach towel uh, ready for Memorial Day weekend and the rest of your summer with your purchase for a limited time only. That begins on Thursday. And that's, of course, while supplies last. Exclusions do apply. See site for details. Now to our good friends at Athletic Greens uh, and their AG1 supplement. If you're not taking it already, uh, Jill and I have both been using it since the fall. The Athletic Greens AG1 powder is just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. Uh, it allows you to get 75, more than 75 important ingredients, vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics for your gut health. It allows you really easily, really quickly to get on with your day knowing that you've gotten all of that. Right now, Athletic Greens is offering a special deal for the Mo News community. Mo News listeners get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs of the AG1 supplement. This all comes with your first purchase. You can visit athleticgreens.com slash monews to take advantage of the offer. You can get a discounted monthly subscription. You can try it one time for just a month. Again, it's athleticgreens.com slash monews. Uh, the code, again, M-O-N-E-W-S for this special deal. It'll allow you to, again, get all your vitamins that you need and start to take ownership of your health. Okay, time now for the speed read from the Associated Press. Police have arrested a Missouri man, a 19-year-old, that they believe intentionally crashed a U-Haul truck into a security barrier at a park across from the White House. He was identified as 19-year-old Cy Varseeth Kandula of Chesterfield, a St. Louis suburb. He smashed into the barrier near the north side of Lafayette Square at around 10 p.m. on Monday. Nobody was injured in the crash. Afterward, he exited the truck with a Nazi flag and started to shout as park police and Secret Service officers approached him. He was questioned by investigators and said that he was there to take over the government and wanted to kill President Biden. A witness said the driver smashed into the barrier at least twice. He said when the van backed up and rammed it again, I decided I wanted to get out of there. I don't blame him. Yeah, the video is a little freaky. I posted it on Instagram for those of you who uh, are familiar with the area around the White House. This is the north side of the White House next to the Hay Adams Hotel. So still, you know, you have to go through the entire park, Lafayette Square, in order to then get to the street that then has the fence to the White House. So still far off here, but still a scary uh, situation that played out. It led to an evacuation of the hotel across the street. Officers from the Secret Service and Metro PD there in D.C. searched the truck after the crash. As you noted, they found that Nazi flag. No weaponry, though. That said, the park police is still charging him on multiple counts, including threatening to kill, kidnap, or inflict harm on the president, vice president, or members of their family, assault with a dangerous weapon, that's the truck here, reckless driving, destruction of federal property, and trespassing. 
Now, the Secret Service does monitor hundreds of people who make threats to the president. It's not clear at this point whether Kandula was on their radar or if he had threatened the president before. You often hear these cases, they'll send letters in advance uh, and then uh, show up. There's a couple of these cases a year, uh, actually, of you know cars getting closed or people driving across the country with ambitions to do harm to our leaders. So it does mean that the Secret Service has its hands full on most days. From CNN, Super Typhoon Mawar is barreling toward Guam, threatening to slam into the United States territory as the strongest storm there in more than 60 years. The typhoon is posing a triple threat of devastation, including deadly winds equivalent to a Category 5 hurricane, exceptional storm surge, and torrential rainfall. This is according to the National Weather Service office in Guam. The storm is being described as, quote, one that will be remembered for decades. Jill, I actually got a message about this from a military family. We have a lot of military personnel out there in Guam. It's this island out in the Pacific. It's about a four-hour flight from there to the Philippines. It's really out there in the middle of the Pacific. This typhoon, despite how small Guam is, is expected to make landfall today. If the typhoon does make direct landfall, the island uh, will be facing some of the storm's strongest winds and a high storm surge. And though Guam is located out there in the West Pacific Ocean, an area that does see a lot of tropical cyclones, a direct hit is very rare. The island is just 30 miles long, so it's been lucky many go-rounds. And apparently it's only been hit by a cyclone just about eight times in the last 75 years. So because of how rare it is and how large the typhoon is, there is a lot of concern about the potential damage uh, it could do. From the AP, we now have a trial date for former President Trump's criminal case related to hush money payments. It is March 25th of next year. Trump threw up his hands in frustration Tuesday as a judge scheduled his criminal trial for next March, putting the former president and current candidate in a Manhattan courtroom in the heat of next year's presidential primary season. Trump was less than thrilled when the judge advised him to cancel all other obligations for the duration of the trial, which could last several weeks. Trump pleaded not guilty last month to 34 felony counts of falsifying business records related to those hush money payments made during the 2016 campaign to bury allegations that he had extramarital sexual encounters with Stormy Daniels. Trump has denied all wrongdoing. So Trump said little during the hearing via video conference, but then said his piece on social media afterwards, uh, writing, quote, just had New York County Supreme Court hearing where I believe my First Amendment rights, freedom of speech have been violated. And they forced upon us a trial date of March 25th, right in the middle of primary season. Very unfair. This is exactly what radical left Democrats wanted. It's called election interference, all caps. And nothing like this has ever happened in our country before. Three exclamation points. The judge said that he did arrive at that trial date of March 25th after discussion with both Trump's attorneys and the prosecutors. The Trump attorneys were trying to get it later next year. The prosecutors are trying to get it earlier next year. Uh, they agreed to it. A Trump attorney quoted afterwards said Trump knew the date prior to the hearing and said she didn't see the reaction that uh, the rest of us saw on the video conference. Now, there are going to be some preliminary dates beforehand. One thing the Trump attorneys are trying to do, sort of a, a long shot bid, is to move this from state court to federal court because some of the alleged conduct took place while he was president and they feel they can't get a fair trial in a New York state court. 
from the Wall Street Journal. Apple strikes multi-billion dollar supply deal with Broadcom. The multi-year agreement with the chipmaker includes U.S.-made components at a time that the iPhone maker has been trying to bring more of that type of work in-house. Apple has long sought to replace chips made by other companies with versions that it designs. As part of the deal that Apple and Broadcom disclosed on Tuesday, the chipmaker will supply Apple with 5G radio frequency components and wireless connectivity components. The companies did not disclose the exact value of the deal. The components will be built in several manufacturing hubs around the United States, including in Fort Collins, Colorado. So we covered the trip recently by Tim Cook, uh, the head of Apple, to India. Apple has been trying to get more of its supply chain out of China in recent years, you know, for a variety of reasons, including how the government conducts itself there, including COVID, uh, including, you know, anticipating if there's a potential war at some point between China and Taiwan. Apple wants to be able to keep its supply chain going without depending too much on the country. So they've been trying to ramp up production in places like Vietnam and India in recent years. Uh, and they've also been looking at doing some more manufacturing here at home. And this has also been a big push for the White House. They have some agreement here from Republicans. They're trying to bring more chip making uh, here to the U.S. Only about 12% of the world's computer chips are produced in the U.S., Although the government now has put new incentives in in a $53 billion bill last year to alter that landscape slowly but surely. Now to an exclusive story from NBC News. Famous historic sites, low-income apartments, and Twitter's headquarters all appear on a previously unpublished draft list of more than 3,000 concrete buildings in San Francisco that could be at high risk of collapse in a major earthquake. This is according to a copy of a city government document obtained by NBC News through a public records request. The building list provides a window into the sweeping cross-section of San Francisco that could be especially vulnerable in a high-magnitude earthquake. NBC News made the decision to publish this list for the first time. The city official tasked with overseeing the production of the list expressed concern that Publishing it could prematurely cause uneasiness among tenants, investors, and others. You think? (laughs) (laughs) Before building owners have a chance to do thorough evaluations. So the list excludes single-family homes, public schools, and buildings constructed after 2000. Uh, It's not clear when the list will be finalized, but the structures on the current list have one thing in common. They were built with concrete at a time before engineers fully understood how much steel or other reinforcement was needed to keep the concrete from crumbling while shaking. We'll include a link to the NBC story here. You can literally go, you know, address by address, 1 Market Street, 1455 Market Street, 100 Drum Street, et cetera, et cetera, to see if a building you know of or you're familiar with is on the list. Uh, Thousands of people who live and work in the buildings could be taking additional risk every time they step inside. Of course, retrofitting the buildings so that they're deemed safe could require billions of dollars and decades of work. Uh, Jill, my first thought when I saw this story was like, San Francisco, they have a lot going on right now. Do they actually need this as well? It's a great point, but they haven't had a massive earthquake in so many years. So it's not necessarily top of mind. Right. But if the big one were to hit, it would be good to know which buildings were safe. Yeah, there's a lot of concern across the Pacific Northwest. There's also a fault line in Seattle. Uh, I worked on a story on that a couple of years ago, uh, Puget Sound, and concern about a potential earthquake there that could be a repeat of something they saw a century ago, centuries ago. And so uh, always, always a concern in the Bay Area, given all the fault lines there. 
From ESPN, LeBron James says that he'll consider retirement this offseason after scoring 40 points and playing all but four seconds of the L.A. Lakers game four loss to the Denver Nuggets. James ended his postgame news conference by telling reporters, going forward with the game of basketball, I've got a lot to think about. After the press conference, ESPN asked him to elaborate. He said he needs to think about if he wants to continue to play next year. James is 38 years old. He just led the number seven seeded Lakers all the way to the Western Conference Finals, though they were swept by Denver in four games. He played in all 17 of LA's postseason games, even though he was still dealing with this right foot injury that did cause him to miss a month late in the regular season. He had a torn tendon. It is possible that he'll need surgery this summer, but still somewhat surprising news. At the same time, when asked by ESPN if he believed a full summer of rehab could get him back to being the player he was before the foot injury, James nodded and said, because I'm still better than 90% of the NBA, maybe (laughs) 95%. Uh, So clearly thinks he still has it. Over the past several years, including this year, he has said repeatedly that he wants to stay around until his son gets in the league. That's his oldest son, Bronny, who recently said he'd be playing college basketball for USC next season. LeBron said, I've done what I've had to do in this league, and my son is going to take his journey. Whatever his journey is, he's going to do what's best for him. Uh, Jill, earlier this year, we covered how he beat Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's all-time scoring record. And beyond that, he was asked, well, what's left for you to do at this point? You've won championships. You've gotten the all-time scoring record. And he said, I want to play with my son. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how this plays out, uh, especially after... Uh, He was able to take the Lakers further than many people thought they would be going this year until they were swept in the Western Conference Finals. It feels like a Tom Brady situation when it comes to LeBron. (laughs) I was thinking the same thing. Multiple championships, both this, like, what are you playing for at this point? You still want to go out strong. You know, Brady came back, was clearly not the comeback or final season that he was anticipating. So I think, you know, that's got to be going through LeBron's mind at this point. All right, now time for On This Day in History on this May 24th. As we talk nostalgia on this podcast, one thing many of us look back fondly on is the cereals we ate from back in the day. Magic Spoon Cereal has joined us as a partner and has replicated some of the flavors you remember from yesteryear in a more wholesome way. They have a special deal right now for the Mo News community. You can head over to magicspoon.com slash Mo News to grab a variety pack today. They make a version of these flavors in a gluten-free, high-protein way. I'll tell you more about that at the end of On This Day, but let's get started here. On this day in 1883, the Brooklyn Bridge opened, Jill, just about a half mile from me in Brooklyn. It connected Brooklyn and Manhattan in New York City, considered a brilliant feat of 19th century engineering. And Jill, what some people may not know, it was a woman, Emily Warren Roebling, who handled the completion of the bridge. Her father-in-law was the designer and builder. He started the job back in 1869, 14 years previous to that. But then a ferry injured his leg. He died three weeks later from a tetanus infection. The job then went to his eldest son, Washington, who three years later contracted a sickness caused by the Bridges Underwater Foundation. Emily was Washington's wife, and then she would go on to manage the completion of the project um, as it opened on this day in 1883. Very cool. Um, do you want the job at that point when the first two people <laughs> suffered very, very serious and in, in one case, fatal injuries while working on it? Yeah, it seems like if your father-in-law goes down, your husband <laughs> goes down, like, but good for her. She, t- she took it through. And it's still spectacular. Running across it, walking across it, driving across it, seeing it. 
It's iconic. It's iconic. Um, and then you have some more modern bridges that connect Manhattan. Manhattan, by the way, uh, is an island, about 2 million people on it. Uh, and you're either connected through tunnels or bridges to get off Manhattan. Uh, nothing really compares to the Brooklyn Bridge. And now to a couple on this days, uh, more recent on this days. It was just three years ago, 2020 on this day, when George Floyd was killed during an arrest in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It set off massive protests around the country, generating greater support for the Black Lives Matter movement. Police officer Derek Chauvin was later convicted of his murder. And just last year, it was just a year ago today, when we had the tragedy at Uvalde, uh, the school shooting, 19 children, two adults killed at Robb Elementary School, the deadliest shooting in Texas history. All right, now to a big birthday we're celebrating today. Bob Dylan, born on this day in 1941. He turns 82 today, Jill. I still listen to Bob Dylan all the time, especially when I'm driving. So when is Bob Dylan time versus Bruce Springsteen time for you? <laughs> like, what's the mood? There's a couple of Bob Dylan songs that just have gotten me through some moments in my life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so usually there's a few roads that I like that when I drive on them, I, I like Bob Dylan. Jill, it's remarkable. He's 82 now. He released his first album when he was just 21 years old. Uh, and next year, the times they are changing turns 60 years old. Wow. All right, two other pop culture items here on this day 23 years ago, May 24th, 2000. Dawson's Creek aired the first ever primetime romantic kiss between two men. I did not realize um, that that was on Dawson's Creek. And that we had to wait until this century uh, to see that. that. That did not happen in the 90s because a lot is made of the Ellen coming out episode just a few years previous. But then it took a couple more years before we uh, were able to see a uh, kiss between. Uh, two men in prime time. And Jill, I know we talk a lot about 80s and 90s music, but I want to throw back uh, to this song. We'll end, speaking of music, we'll end with this song turning 54 years old today. Jill, on this day in 1969, that is Sugar Sugar by the Archies. It was released. Uh, it was actually a uh, launched on a cartoon show, an animated show, it would become the number one song on the pop charts in 1969. Also a great song that I'm surprised hasn't been remixed yet. Unless it has, then I just don't know it. Definitely waiting for a moment for like Miley Cyrus or yeah, exactly. Lizzo or Lady Gaga <laughs> to like do their version of it. And Jill, one thing that surprised me is the song came out in 1969. It it has the feel of a more of a 50s, early 60s song. It was coming out, you know, despite those tumultuous times of Vietnam and the rock era, etc. Uh, in 69. So it feels like a little throwback. All right, I want to thank our sponsor this week, Magic Spoon Cereal, which is sponsoring On This Day in History. Their peanut butter, frosty, cocoa, fruity, speaking of sugar, sugar, are all <laughs> the hit. It allows you to have a bit of nostalgia in a low-carb way. The great thing right now, Magic Spoon, is gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and sugar-free. They're so confident in their product, they have a 100% happiness guarantee, so if you don't like it, they'll refund you. No questions asked. Remember, you can get your next big bowl of high-protein cereal over at magicspoon.com slash monews. Again, magicspoon.com slash mo news use the code mo news to get five dollars off all right a big thank you to everybody for listening to the mo news podcast follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the app store so we can continue to grow and don't forget to join mo news premium mo.news slash premium to support what we're doing here at mo news and get access to our members only podcast 
uh, where you'll get early access to all of our episodes, as well as some exclusive content, a members-only Instagram feed with extra content. Uh, and for all of you who have your questions about the news, we answered one of them yesterday. Dial us on the Mo News uh, Newsline. We need to come up with a name for this, Jill. The Newsline, the Direct Line, the Question Line. We'll come up with it. We'll brand it. Needless to say, it's one 800 711 Mosh, M-O-S-H, to ask your questions. Say hi and uh, let us know what you're thinking about when it comes to the news. I think the hotline, Mosh. I like The it. hotline. Yeah, okay. I'm into Call it. Call the Mo News hotline. Yes. 1-800-711-MOSH, <laughs> M-O-S-H. Call the hotline. It sounds urgent. I like it. Call the hotline. Let us know the question that's top of mind. And we'll try to answer it on a future podcast. And again, still working on 1-800-711-JILL for Seinfeld references, Bruce Springsteen songs. We could talk Bob, and Bob Dylan. Dylan. Yes, It sounds exactly. like Bob Dylan. Yeah. <laughs> Today it's blown in the wind over at the on the Jill line. All right, guys. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.